You sending the wolf? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, I have an episode that I am really excited to get out to you. It was actually the first episode that I recorded um, back uh, for season two of the podcast, and it's finally time to release it. My guest is Michael Kennedy. Michael is a screenwriter, and he is the co-host of Attack of the Queer Wolf, which is one of Blumhouse's uh, podcasts on the Bloodhouse on the Bloodhouse, on the Blumhouse Podcast Network, uh, and he is also a dear friend. And today we're talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Um, so this is really exciting because for me, you know, Michael, as I said, Michael is a dear friend. He and I, we talk about a lot of things um, when we see each other for dinners or we go on, you know, trips with our friends or whatever it is. But we we always uh, we end up talking about movies at some point and what did you think about this did you see that did you see what happened on twitter and so on and so forth and um i'm really really excited to take michael's genre expertise and fandom and apply it to a movie like terminator 2 um i i really like terminator 2 but if you guys have been listening to um you know various podcast appearances that i have made whether it's um on you know movie fights or whether it is uh, on the uh, season one episode with Mark Bernardin where we talk about the Terminator or um, the top 10 podcast with Matt Nost and John Rocha. You know, Terminator 2 is a movie that I feel a little bit conflicted about. Now, not to say that I don't think it's a great movie and that I enjoy it and I think it's an incredible science fiction action epic. Like all of that is absolutely true. And there is throughout this podcast high praise for Terminator 2 because it is. It's one of the best action uh, blockbusters over the last handful of decades. But Inevitably, one thing always does come up, and that's Sarah Connor, right? We we talk about Sarah Connor. We talk about strong female characters. We talk about female action heroes, and Sarah Connor's name does come up. And I don't deny that Sarah Connor is an iconic action figure, and I don't deny that Linda Hamilton, you know, underwent an incredible physical transformation to bring this character to life and gives great performances in both The Terminator and Terminator 2. But I have come to feel like perhaps the characterization of Sarah Connor, uh, especially in Terminator 2, is very much of its time, meaning there there is something to be discussed and something to be said about what makes a quote unquote strong female hero. And um, so Michael and I talk about that. We also talk about his podcast, Attack of the Queer Wolf, which you can listen to now, as I said, over on the Blumhouse Podcast Network, which is basically a show that breaks down popular culture and popular cinema, um, usually horror, uh, through a queer lens. And I think that it's really fun um, group of people 
people who are the regulars on that show. They've had incredible guests. And um, and I think it's really adds to the discussion. You know, one of my favorite things about doing Sending the Wolf is adding to the bigger conversation of classic film, pop culture, and, and, and what we consider to be the best, adding to that um, different kinds of voices, um, whether it's female voices, people of color, the LGBT community, and so on and so forth. Um, so so I, I say that to say that it's really cool that we got to have this conversation about about this movie in particular and that I got to have it with Michael. Um, the other thing, it, it's, it's a really it's a really comprehensive genre conversation talking about action, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, exploitation, all those things. So I think you're going to dig it. The other thing that Michael brought up um, brings up in this episode that I think is really cool is the is the um, comparisons between Terminator 2 and. And Halloween 2018. Um, as I said, Michael is a huge horror fan, so naturally, uh, Laurie Strode, I think, has been on his mind for a long time. But I do think that it's going to, hopefully, it will be fun for you all to listen to the comparisons between uh, Laurie and Sarah Connor. So I'm really proud of this episode. I love Michael. He's a dear friend. He's a really smart guy, and he's incredibly talented. And, um, I'm, it's an honor for me to have him on the show, and I'm really glad that he picked Terminator 2. So here we go, Judgment Day with Michael Kennedy. Hooray! Hey! So, Michael, before we really get started, I have to tell you something. Okay, cool. I haven't recorded one of these in like six months um, I think. Has it been that long? Yeah since I recorded because um, I banked a lot and the first season was 30 episodes um, and but but I haven't done one of these in so long so it's like it's wow, kind of funny to be fun. back on the bicycle but yeah. yeah but I'm okay. very excited to be back when you're a pro you know you're doing season two bigger <laughs> and better <laughs> wait is this the season two premiere so it's the first episode I have recorded of season two. Okay. I don't know the release order yet. Perfect. But it will probably be at the top of the season. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> it's very exciting. It is exciting. For me. And, um, and yeah, for me. this is the sister act to Back in the Habit. Of... <laughs> and I'm Jennifer Love <laughs> Yes, always. Um, so thank you for chatting and being Thanks here and for doing this. Me. And, you know, as you know, um, the the show is not, is very casual yes. and, and fun and it'll be nice. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I wanted to ask you, cause I mean, I'll give you your proper intro, like at the top, right. you know, in the pre-record. but, um, you just launched a podcast yes, and I you did. are a part of a bigger, a bigger group. And so, because, you know, I, the audience might not, it might not have crossed paths with the, the my yeah, audience. Yeah, we're still pretty, pretty new. Yeah. So can, do you want to give the spiel? Like what's the overview? Okay. So I, um, um, hi, everybody. Um, I host, I co-host a show mm -hmm. for Blumhouse, um, their podcast network called Attack of the Queer Wolf. Mm -hmm. And I host it with activist Nay Beaver and screenwriter Mark Fortin, who you know. Mm -hmm. um, I love them both. They're great. They're so amazing. Um, and they make me look really good. Um, but we discuss horror through a queer lens. Mm -hmm. So our general format each week is one of the hosts picks a film mm -hmm. um, and they, the film they pick, they get to run point on. Mm -hmm. And we just generally look at 
whether it's classic horror, something campy, um, something unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, we just look at it through a queer lens and kind of dissect it mm-hmm. as queer people. Yeah. Um, some of them have major queer themes, so it's very easy to go through them. High Tension was our premiere mm-hmm. episode, and it was very easy to break that movie down via queer lens. Um, but we've done some movies that, on the surface, probably don't look queer. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie is a good example. Mm-hmm. We just recorded that with Chris Landon. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Chris Landon. It's the first time I met him, and he's fabulous. He's really sweet. He's wonderful. And smart. So smart. Um, and... I'm sure you probably feel the same way I do and that the queer themes in Carrie are very present. Mm-hmm. But to some people, it may not may not be there at all just because they may just look at it as a tale of a telekinetic teen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take movies like that sometimes and talk about being the other, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really fun. It's really, We can be very campy with it and dirty and filthy. And we talk about ourselves a little bit at the beginning of each show, which we call Tea Time, where we kind of just mm-hmm. di- uh, talk about what we're watching and stuff. But the main thing we're trying to do is just give people a different POV that they're not used to on film. Yeah. And uh, have some fun in the process. Well, I feel like, you know, one of the things, like I, I when I was, uh, anytime I talk about genre um, and talk about why I enjoy it, you know, I often bring up like the political commentary mm-hmm. that is nine most of the time baked into yep. horror, science fiction, fantasy. Yeah. Um, because oftentimes the things that scare us or make us uncomfortable, you know, are are represent especially if they become a trend. Yes. Are you know a reflection of whatever the society is looking at. Exactly. So I would give basic examples, like you know, even going back as far as Frankenstein and the idea of uh, medicine and right. playing God mm-hmm. and. What's next? And Godzilla and, is a reaction to war. Sure. You and, know. and you know, um, invasion of the body snatchers and the Cold War. And can you trust your neighbors and pod people? Yep. And the list goes on and on yeah. and on. Um, but oftentimes when I talk to people who maybe don't, who are casual genre fans, right. but they love film and they love cinema, they, they kind of go, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. And so one of the things that your podcast does that I really love is that it, it takes that into a more specific specific you know through a more specific lens. yeah we almost have like a clear thesis yes. is a good way to put it each week um and it's really fun because we'll talk through a film and then decide sometimes like okay the queer themes really aren't that present right you know or sure. we'll decide that they're in your face or you know we'll decide you know if a movie's ahead of its time mm-hmm. in the sense the way it represents queer themes and that kind of stuff and for us it's just i really think anybody can find their specific POV, whether you agree with it or not, mm-hmm. in most horror, mm-hmm. especially really good horror, you can find something to relate to, mm-hmm. whether it's the outsider, um, even the villain. I think a lot of people identify with the villain a lot, you know, so we just wanted to give people that perspective because in, you know, as a queer person myself, um, you know, we sometimes can be forgotten Mm -hmm. and it's nice to give people a little reminder that we're there Mm -hmm. and that we're making some really great art ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, and I like that we have a very specific take. Um, but also at the same time, me, Mark and Nay don't always agree with each other. So that's the fun part of it too. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just nice to provide, provide a few laughs because I really think, um, 
comedy comes a lot with queerness Mm -hmm. and we try to make that present throughout the show and it's actually a really good segue into the what we're going to talk about the movie you picked um (laughs) which is terminator 2 judgment day yeah and i wonder if this this pick will be a little left field for people who listen to queer wolf Wolf. yeah i mean it's um (laughs) well it's interesting for a lot of reasons so because it is i think remembered as this action science fiction Mm -hmm. action epic that was actually something i wanted to bring up oh what just i and we can talk about it a little bit more later if you want I look at Terminator and Terminator 2 as horror movies. Right. The first one, I feel like, first yes, one's for sure. like 100% a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like T2 has a lot of slasher elements. Uh-huh. And as I was rewatching it this week, mm-hmm. I started laughing because I think you and I have discussed in the past about how there's this like need for studios or even sometimes the filmmakers themselves and definitely for critics to avoid using the word horror. In describing yes. a film, they yes. want to say something's elevated or they want to say it's a thriller. Yes. And I was laughing when I picked this movie because as I was watching, I was like, this is a horror movie. It's a slasher movie on steroids. Yeah. And I was like, is this the first, is this like the 1990s version of critics saying or the studio or James Cameron refusing to call T2 a horror movie. Well, I mean, the <laughs> final the final shot of Robert Patrick where his body is split and he looks like something out of John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, and he sounds like Alien. Yeah, to me, know? that <laughs> is like straight horror. Like that, yeah. and, and that's something to me too, though, that James Cameron, he can't help but incorporate into absolutely. his movies. Absolutely, and I think horror's in his DNA. It is, it yeah. abso- whether, he, whether he thinks he's be more elevated or yeah. not. Um, uh, and not to put words in his mind, mouth I just you know it's always described as an action movie yeah and I do think I would say for me with the first Terminator uh I think it is horror exploitation first absolutely um whereas the to me T2 does I would say first and foremost feels like an action movie with science fiction elements yeah and then the horror is kind of like secondary yeah it's absolutely there like there's yeah I think the setup alone yeah kind of relegates it like um to me like makes it really open to that interpretation mm-hmm. of, you know, the the villain with the knife. Sure. Even though here it's his actual person, but he literally turns it into a knife usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the reason I picked this movie is um, with Halloween 2018 mm-hmm. just coming out, I think they're kind of cousins. Yeah, so I, I want to hear more about that. About that cousinship? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um in anything I say is not a knock on either film. No. I think they're both great, and I think um, they both are stories that really speak for their time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching both within the same week, there's a lot of very similar themes. PTSD is is discussed at yes. length. Um, I mean, Sarah's is a lot more extreme than Lori's, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, Lori's is really extreme. Um Sarah's preparing herself in a small room because that's the only place she can. I really think if she was out in the world, she probably would have a thing going on like Laurie's show does in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a lot of connections there in the sense that it's like both strong women. No one will listen to them. Yes. That literally have their finger on what fate's going to bring. Right. Either all of humanity or this small little suburban town. Yeah. Everyone's telling them they're fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones preparing, so at the end of the day, they're the only ones that can stop it. Mm -hmm. But 
fun idea, fun thought while watching both. Um, I think everyone knows that I'm a Judy Greer fan. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably a Judy Greer fan because who isn't a Judy Greer who fan? Isn't? I was watching T2 and I was imagining John Connor. John Connor's arc in Terminator yeah. 2. I was imagining that was Karen Strode. Uh-huh. And that was really fun for me. Yes. To fill in the gaps where... Karen is taken at age 12, right? John's 10 in the movie, but he's in foster care and stuff. So I was actually like kind of pretending John was Karen mm-hmm. and that we were seeing Karen's origin story while watching T2. So for the audience who <laughs> hasn't seen Halloween 2018, basically Judy Greer, the actress, plays Karen Strode, who is Laurie Strode's daughter. And adult daughter in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And and the, that's not a spoiler. Like it's in the setup. And, yeah. and it is part of the setup of yeah, Halloween 2018. I'm not <laughs> No, no, I mean, I think at this point, like, I don't think we need to, like, dive straight into spoilers or, like, heavy spoilers for 2018 um, Halloween. But, um, you know, I do think the comparison is really interesting. And I don't think that anything you've said this far, thus far, is a big spoiler. Um, But we do find out that... uh, Judy Greer's character in 2018 Halloween was taken from Lori. Yeah, it's like one of Lori's first yes. monologues yes. about how her daughter was taken from her at age well, 12. Well, it's so funny because I was thinking about if Terminator were made today and if John would be a boy. Oh, that's a really good point. Because I thought about, and then I went into, uh, I started thinking about Logan, uh, James Mangold's movie uh-huh. Logan, and and the fo- similar themes, yes, too. Yeah. and the the heavy focus on the young girl mm. and her relationship with with Logan. Yeah. Um, and I I started thinking about you know the the characters that now we're seeing this awareness, mm-hmm. um, for to to make you know the important the future, um, like, you know, it's, it's almost like it's edgy or it's, it's like very, it's woke. Yeah. Uh, it's very woke <laughs> to have the savior of the universe actually be a girl right. uh, or, or a little girl of color, yeah. you know? Um, so, so I say that to say, I was thinking about that. And if this movie were made now, if the, and it's just, it's just, and again, I want to be really clear. And you said this and I want to say it too. This is, these are not criticisms of ter- of T2. Yeah. It's just looking at it with the lens now. Yeah. And it's kind of like a theme of queer wolf. Is sure. Kind of what we're doing here. And it's, we're at a point now culturally too. And just the way the climate is, it's almost impossible to watch something from the past and not think of it in sure. the way you view the world today, things, especially as you age and mature. Things are so, the world is such a different, like the fact that this movie is, I mean, what, 20, 27, I think. Yeah. 91, like I want to say it came out. It feels, I mean, I watched this movie in the last five years. I remember. And I remember being like, wow, this like, is awesome and mm. blew my mind. Mm. And then watching it again a couple of days ago for this, I remember being like, this feels old. <laughs> and it's and it's just, I think, and and look, I'll be honest, I think especially in the West and in the US, we might have a little cultural whiplash right now. Right. And maybe it's and, and look, there are a lot of people, myself included, a lot of people that need to be awoken to things and and are behind there's a lot of people going y'all are late yeah um but we people who are catching up right like 
I, it was amazing to me how my interpretation of this movie had changed right. so, much so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and I think that has to that definitely has to do with just the way the world's changed in two years. And also, I I, I think this is an important distinction to make. I didn't grow up with this movie. Right. Meaning I didn't see T2 until I was living in California as an adult. So okay. that was in the last 10 years. First time I saw it, I think I was, I want to say 19 or 20 Okay. Uh, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really watch. I grew up in like a household where you weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to really watch anything gruesome or mm-hmm. sexual or, you know, that kind of like no married with children, mm-hmm. no R-rated movies, no horror. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was late to the game and by late, I mean like 16, Sure. <laughs> you know, scream was my gateway yeah. drug into horror, um, and my awakening in so many ways. Um, so stuff like this came later, you know, mm-hmm. as I kind of started discovering the genre mm-hmm. and kind of discovering the branches that hang off the genre tree, which I think T2 really mm-hmm. does. Um, but in watching it again and kind of just thinking about, you know what you said like look at like some of the memories you had when mm-hmm. you rewatched the movie and stuff the thing that i remember most about watching it when i was like 20 years was just being scared uh-huh. out of my mind yeah because there's something weirdly realistic about it to me Yes. You know. I, I did not enjoy watching the nuclear bomb go off yeah, in Los Angeles. And honestly watching it and this week and le- Sarah's last line in the movie is fucking haunting. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's, you know, I, I can't remember it specifically, but it's about the value, uh, how a machine can find the value of human life. Maybe can one we, day we will. Yeah. And we're in a time where we're not. Right. Well, and on top of that, <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I was watching w- during the, during the scene where she, the dream sequence where she's at the playground and the bomb does go off. Um, oh. The, I just got like the way, sick to my yeah, like it, it was kind of amazing. And I was thinking in the early 90s, like shooting that scene the way that you that it shot, everything lingers. And James Cameron is a really interesting filmmaker in many ways, but I think that you know, he's always been an environmentalist, mm-hmm. he has always been, um, you know. A, I'm not saying preachy. I'm saying he he preaches yeah. using his film, yeah. which I think films, which I think is fine. Yeah, because I, 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 like you said, I don't think he's preaching. I think there is there is something to be said about some directors actually being preachers. Absolutely, you know? and and so I say that to say that. Um, the, the, all these movies are a wake up call. All these movies are into whether it is about the environment, whether mm. it is about humanity, whether it is about science, whether it is about, um, you know, politics. So that said, watching the, the bomb go off in this movie now felt like almost if that was shot now and in a movie now, it would almost feel irresponsible in a way. Yeah. Like it felt, cause you know, I think about you. like yeah. with Avengers or with all those superhero movies uh-huh. of a certain time, Man of Steel, like they call it um, destruction porn. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and so true. there was this huge backlash. Especially to, to Man of Steel. Yeah. To Man of Steel and to the Avengers and to all these superhero films that showed the decimation of these like destruction of cities. Somebody told me not to say decimation because it's 10, it's intervals of 10. Oh my God. <laughs> <And> so, uh, <laughs> or Person's really smart. Yeah, very smart. But <laughs> the destruction and devastation of these cities. And so um, 
Yeah, just like watching it now, I thought, wow, this is so slow. And it's like, it, it's, it almost felt gratuitous in a way. Yeah, I can see. Her skin, like yeah. the skeleton is too long. But it's interesting in the sense that, because while I was watching it, to kind of like build on what you were just saying, is there's two things I think about this movie if they were made today. One that destruction is like almost pornographic Mm -hmm. in the sense that like we're literally watching her skin Mm -hmm. burn off her body. But, you know, maybe gratuitous, but it also like for, I think for, I want to say for Cameron, it probably was like, this is what a reality situation would look like. But to go a step further in the sense of the slowness of it, Mm -hmm. the movie breathes. Mm -hmm. So, like, when I was watching it, I was kind of like, wow, this movie really takes its time Mm -hmm. in setting everything up and letting you digest. And one of my thoughts while watching it was like, what would this movie look like today? Mm -hmm. Because it would probably be a race from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't get those quiet moments. Um, You wouldn't get the moment of, you probably wouldn't get the moment of Sarah just sitting in a car watching John Connor play with the Terminator. Right, right. Um, Because it would be like, get to the next kill, get to the next action sequence. There was that. And there's also something, I don't know if this is connected or not, but you brought up something about would John be a woman Mm -hmm. or a girl. Um, I laugh because we live in a time right now where if John, if they remade this movie or if they did something with this film or something similar and they did make John a a Joanna, Mm -hmm. you'd have the people going PC, PC, PC. But then you're like, do you dudes fucking forget that like some of your biggest heroes are Ripley right. and Sarah Connor and Laurie Strode and Nancy yeah, and just these strong kick-ass women that have always been in front of your fucking face mm-hmm. this entire time. But suddenly by doing one today, it's a, it's a social message. So I want to talk about this uh, because, <laughs> I'm like now. well, no, this is, this is a really, really, really interesting conversation to me. So I recently went on a podcast. Uh, it's called the top 10 podcast and John Roca and Matt Nost host it. And basically the theme, the theme was uh, women in sci-fi. Uh-huh. So everybody makes a top 10 list of, you know, whatever the topic is. And we all, you, you start with number 10. So if my number 10 is whatever I say my number 10 is this and they go okay I don't have it I don't have it and then you go around and basically they kind of do it like at the end they build a list Uh based on who has what in common where they rank like all that stuff so women in sci-fi they were shocked that Sarah Connor I think was my five or my four Okay. and they were like they, they couldn't believe she was number one or number two And when I really think about Sarah Connor and I think about the idea of the badass Mm -hmm. female hero Mm -hmm. or character, you know, Sarah Connor is a tough character for me to watch because there's a lot going on. But to me, if I had to strip it all down, I feel like at the time what James Cameron did was make her a man. I mean, essentially, yeah. There's something to be said about the fact that, too, that like... And no offense to anybody, but when men write these type of women, it's so it, it's possible. And I don't know if this is because I'm gay or because I grew up in a family with four sisters or mm-hmm. what, but it's possible to have a strong woman that also isn't completely damaged. Yeah. Or completely about one thing. Yes. You know, so 
Yeah, in a way, it's yeah. like he's projecting his manhood onto this female character he had created seven years earlier. Yes, and yeah. what else is on top of that, like, so and quote, I... Quote, unquote, manhood. Well, and I often make <laughs> the the argument um, that the reason that I, I have a problem with the waste, I, I would have liked to have seen Sarah get to this place. I would have liked to have seen those years that the we intervening are missing. Years, yeah. Because when you, um, I, I did an episode in season one of my podcast on The Terminator with Mark Bernardin, and he brought up this topic, and he, he agrees with sort of what we're saying, which is that, you know, the, he, he was like, I am, you know, my, my mom, my mom's the strongest woman I know, and she can't do a push up, you know, yeah. and like that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, but that said, um, he, you know, where we end the Terminator is Sarah is, she's, aw- she's aw- awoken, she's awake and she's aware, but she's not devastated and she's not terrified she's all not the effective, she's really. hopeful yeah. that she or, and she's scared and she's nervous but she's like it's like onward on my journey mm. and then end of terminator yeah i mean the movie really sort of abruptly ends too it does yeah but so with she this voiceover and that's over yeah and but when we pick up here I feel like as a woman who enjoys seeing women's journeys, be they action or drama or horror or comedy or whatever, we missed the most important part. Right. And, but what we got was the action satisfying part. Right. Because she can do, right. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Essentially, you know. Yeah. And I, but at the same time, I don't want to discredit what Linda Hamilton does in her performance. Such and at the time, especially, it was kind of unseen. Yes. You know, you had Sigourney Weaver and Aliens mm-hmm. kind of representing the same thing, but in a much softer way. Yeah. Um, I think her character is much more rounded I in agree. Aliens. Also James Cameron. Yes. So there's something to be said about he does have the ability to maybe look um, at the character a little bit deeper than just being this badass mm-hmm. on the surface. Um I forget where I was going with this, but there is something to be said about the fact that, I don't know, he almost created the prototype. Yes. For better or for worse. Yes, he did. And um, so I guess for me, it's like you look at it that way and you go, okay, cool. But how can we evolve from this? Sure. You know? And and I do think, again, there's something to be said for like tipping your hat to the things that have come before mm. and, and but admitting that they, they, they don't, necessarily stand the test of time across the board. Yeah. And that's where I bring in the Laurie Strode comparison. Yes. Because on the surface, she's kind of the same character, but she's not afraid to cry. Mm -hmm. She's not afraid to break down. She's not afraid to be wrong. She's not afraid to admit, and this is not a spoiler, but she's not afraid to admit that she may have been a bad mother, Mm -hmm. but if it's the one thing that kept her daughter safe, then she's okay with that. Right. You know, there is a little bit more nuance in a little bit more of it. She's more of an onion. Yeah. You know? Um, So it's nice. The reason I wanted to do that movie after seeing it is, to me, they're like the same coin. Mm -hmm. They're just different sides of Mm -hmm. it. So there's just something really interesting about kind of looking at Sarah and Lori. Yeah. And seeing like how that trope or that classic type of character has changed sure. in 27 years. And so I do also want to mention, uh, I want to talk about Arnold. 
Arnold. Let's talk about Arnold. Arnold. Uh, because I'm almost like almost was thrown there because I'm not used to him be, ever being called Arnold. Arnold. <laughs> is, is that is it, you really want me to call him Arnold? I'm used to just the Terminator. The Terminator. Yeah. Okay. Or the Governor. Uh, the Governor. So I I, uh, I love. Um, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is so good in the first Terminator. Yep. Um, He's it, menacing. I mean, he is, and and the I like. We cannot dis. Uh, we cannot devalue like how good. I, I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying I feel like it's very easy to be dismissive of the role in the Terminator because he doesn't really. He's got minimal lines, right? And he's just super hard to do, right? It's so yep. hard, yeah. And he does it all like with a look, with a with a the way he moves. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is real character work and yeah. real acting. Um. So let's talk about now. I have to say, this is one of my, I think this is fucking brilliant. What they, doing the switch yeah, and oh, making him gorgeous. the good guy. And I love that they even went as far as to open with his character you're, you don't know. Yes. Like, yeah, I, I would yes. love to go back and look at the ads mm-hmm. to see how they, to see if it was just like, oh, this is something that's in the movie, but we got to sell the ads that right. he's the good guy now. Yeah. But the first time I saw it, I knew that, but I still kind of love that they kind of played with the idea, like, could he still be the bad guy? It's a great, it's, it's amazing. a great and, and reveal. Sarah's reaction the first time yes. she sees him is amazing. Yes. And you, the audience, already 100% know he's the good guy. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's, um, I, I love, I love the switch, um, from a storytelling perspective, it's brilliant. It's such a great move, but also it really allows Arnold Schwarzenegger once again to do some really great work. He I mean, is so underrated in both of these movies. Yeah. There's a reason his character is on the AFI best villain and best heroes yes, list. Yes, which is very cool. Which is super cool. I think he's the only one that played the same character that's on both. Yeah, probably. Uh, made both lists as the same character. And he, his character really, I'm glad you brought this up because while watching this movie, there were moments with him where you're touched yeah. and you realize He's the most human character in the entire story. Yes. And and this is like the perfect dad. And and we I feel yes, and I feel like I feel like, you know, for our audience who for my audience who might be screaming at their iPod, at their iPhone going, "How dare you say those mean things about Sarah Connor?" Like, we love her. I want to be clear that, you know, the the juxtaposition between the two of them is obvious. The commentary mm. that James Cameron is making, Sarah Connor is a flesh and blood woman, but she is more of machine and a robot and it's very much on purpose yes absolutely there's no doubt about it there is such there so yes and um and i'm about to get to robert we'll get to robert patrick in a second but um but yeah he is so human and and what they are able to accomplish and convey you know this the i i it's so it feels cheesy a little bit but like the scene at the end you know the line i know now why you cry mm-hmm. you know Gets it's me every time it's such a great it's moment a, it's a it's a beautiful line that he can't feel emotion but mm-hmm. he can understand it yeah and that's actually kind of what i think human beings crave from each other more yes. so than feeling the emotion yeah. is understanding your do emotion. you understand mm. i just want to be understood work on that in therapy all the time yeah <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely i mean it's um yeah he's he's really really great arnold is great and also you know um 
somebody like Arnold playing off of a young actor like Edward Furlong, who, mm-hmm. who they have so many scenes together. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant together. And yeah, and and you know he is such a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, there would have to be, um, and a softness and an affection behind the scenes. I would imagine when you're working with a kid yeah. and you, you know, you, you are the biggest superstar movie star yeah, in the, the world. Person in the entire world. Yeah. And this is literally his first movie. Yeah. He's 12. I think when he made this playing a 10 year old, do you happen like to know if, um, do you happen to know anyone else who was in the running for the uh, John Connor role? Cause I Googled it and couldn't, find... I couldn't find anything either. So I want to say, I want to say River Phoenix was, right? Or is he too old? I mean, that's is a great... Alive? I was looking up at... <laughs> uh, yeah, I was Maybe look, Joaquin I'm thinking of. I was looking for DiCaprio, too. Oh, but I don't know how old DiCaprio... DiCaprio well, he was 16 when old. he was on his first season of Growing Pains, and I think that was right around the same time. Okay, so he would have been too old. Why do I know old. that? I mean, this is very important information. Um, um, but I'm glad you bring up Arnold, because there was something I wanted to yes. bring up about him, the whole... A lot of people focus on the fact that Sarah's done a complete 180. Yeah. His character, Arnold's character, has come has done a complete 180. Yeah. Like, his character comes full circle. And it really hit me this time when I watched it when they actually, which I think is another brilliant touch, towards the end of the movie when they're in um, Cyberdyne mm-hmm. and ready to blow it up. Mm-hmm. And you hear over the police radio, Sarah Connors escaped. Mm-hmm. And then last scene with white male... Yada, 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 suspect of um, wanted for killing LAPD in 1984. Uh-huh. Like you realize, holy shit, his character has had a major arc too, and he's a fucking machine. Yes. You know? And it makes you the thing that I love most now, and I think it's just when you have a little bit more life experience and like have, you know, my dad died this year, so mm-hmm. I started noticing those themes a little mm-hmm. bit more. Like, it's the first time in John's life mm-hmm. he's had a person he can count on. Yeah. And it's a machine. Yeah. It's the first time he's a child in the sense that he's weirdly having some fun mm-hmm. during all this mayhem. He's seen a role model for the first mm-hmm. time that he's never had before. Mm-hmm. He's connecting with somebody. The the come with me if you want to live moment uh, where he says it. He it, like mm. it's it's an iconic line. So yes, good. but it's so within the context. Like it's I, I want to so point out meaning. how good that's right. Yeah. Uh, like the the place that it happens in the script, um, the look on Linda Hamilton's face, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the whole setup of yeah. like her terror at at and also the location they decide to do it in the mental hospital and the fact that one thing we haven't even really gotten into is the gaslighting like this woman I was really thinking about this a lot Hmm, I didn't think about this Sarah has been told for the last almost decade you are crazy you're wrong you are wrong wrong. this didn't happen to you and how frustrating like I do love that we get to see the moments of of pure rage <laughs> and frustration right. which also ties into what we mentioned earlier which is believe women like that's yeah. Lori's Lori's arc in 2018 well, in many ways like you could look at T2 as like a precursor to the Me Too movement oh yeah I, you know I mean, like you know reclaiming her narrative in a way sure. even if she's like completely hard and almost like you said almost a stand-in for a male character well yeah and in that but but when he says come with me if you want to live it's not only like again a brilliant moment for a lot of reasons but to me that's where the weight really 
for her. Mm. That is the moment of you were right. Yep. And and you, you this whole time. Yeah. And and we are sending you somebody to now take your revenge. Yeah. And well, and essentially too, like I love the moment too, or the dude running the hospital. Oh yeah. You know, he has that whole come to Jesus moment. It's like, holy shit, I've been wrong. Yeah. I wish she would have said something. I wish they would have had him like verbally admit he was wrong. I think me today wants that more than me then did. Yeah. But there's also something really great, even if we both admit that we feel Sarah may be a little problematic Mm -hmm. in today's lens, that from that moment on too, she's either treated as an equal or greater than. Yeah. Um, Which is really rad. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I really think structurally and pretty much narratively it's a perfect movie Mm -hmm. like just the timing of everything Mm -hmm. the the set pieces when they come along are always in the right spots Mm -hmm. like they're the right length like it's just uh i just really love the 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 scene (laughs) in um in dyson's uh house yeah like such a great that pause almost like let's stop the mayhem and talk well but before that she just fucking the bottom Mm -hmm. falls out well just the internal struggle she's showing on her face and the question of do we kill i oh my god that was like literally a note i wrote myself yeah well here's something (laughs) i noticed and and again don't worry listeners i i'm coming for robert patrick but um because i love him in this movie he's so great he's so good so good but when we were talking earlier about the juxtaposition between um you know sarah and sarah is a human but does she feel and arnold is a machine and he can understand right um in the scene where uh, the the T-1000 breaks into the, the hospital because uh-huh. um, he's looking for her and she breaks out essentially. Right. I noticed the, the mirror. So what happens is the T-1000 uh, takes his, he grows his little, he makes his little uh, knife mm. and stabs the orderly through the head right. and throws his body in a closet. Sarah takes the broom handle the so it's wood it's nature essentially right. and beats the shit out of this guy right. who just molested her in her fucking mm, room by the way yeah. and but doesn't kill him and throws him in her room and shuts the door right. they are the exact same actions yes. except one is to kill and one is incapacitate yeah. yeah i mean it's it's a human it's look i don't even though you have abused me even though i fucking hate you and there's people, her humanity that's exactly right yeah. That and you I just find those little moments of humanity and those little touches are just brilliant. And I love like <laughs> I I I have to feel like this is intentional, but I love that when the T one thousand kills the uh the guard, he uh he makes a synthetic, like, you know, um weapon mm-hmm. whereas Sarah uses the na- a tr- part of a tree a living or you know what right, I'm saying like, like something it's, that she could have used a hundred thousand years exactly. ago exactly yeah. that's exactly yeah right. and I think a lot of those those little nuances can only come from a filmmaker like James Cameron I would agree you know those are like very in a lot of ways if she used something else it almost betrays the character right um, but I'm glad you brought that up in the sense because the one thing the movie does do is it makes you ask a lot of questions about yourself. Yes. Whether it's, would you want to know your future? Mm-hmm. Would you, you know, like, what if you controlled humanity's destiny? Mm-hmm. How do you react to that? Would you kill one to save billions? Yeah. You know, and it's really, really interesting. I found myself at times, this time watching it, kind of siding with Sarah. I'm like, 
there was a moment in the film watching it this time where I'm like, go fucking kill Dyson, mm-hmm. even though I know what's going to happen. Right, right. And then there's times where I'm like, okay, John, John gets it. But then there's times where I'm like, shut up, little boy. Mm-hmm. Listen to your mother. Mm-hmm. She's trying to save seven billion. One's got to go, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But it's, and then, but the brilliant thing Cameron does here is they're racing to get to Dyson's house because mm-hmm. they know that's where Sarah's going. And John says something to the extent, like, you just can't kill people mm-hmm. to that extent, something like that. And Arnold, T-800, he goes, now I understand why. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to Dyson's child. Right. You know, and it's just like, God, I love movies that they don't take the time to literally sit there and go, it's because he has a kid. I, I love when they, the movie really trusts the audience. Yeah. Even from the sense of it being, which is kind of unheard of then being like a seven a seven years yes. later sequel sounds yeah. so long yeah. then that it kind of trusts you to know the story. It does give you a little bit of backstory mm-hmm. in the beginning, but it kind of thrusts you into it and says, you you know what's going on. Yeah. We don't need to spend time setting this up. We yeah. want to set up now, not what's happened. Yes. Um, so I just love those things too that Car- or Carpenter Cameron does. Yeah. Of like, boom, we see the kid. That's all, we, we get it. Yeah. We get it. It's, you know. Well, and also I think that what we're talking about, um, and and obviously James Cameron is is a genius at, at filmmaker and he will be remembered forever in the history of film, I think. Um, but that said, I think that what we're talking about, because I do think that in the hands of a filmmaker that feels similarly or has a similar philosophy, you can tell a Terminator story that is compelling. I think when it comes to the third force, the third movie in Salvation <laughs> and Jenny Smith, as everybody says, um, you know, the problem is that you that you're not taking time to ask questions. Right. You're not, you're not using this this backdrop to tell a human story. Right. You're using this backdrop to blow shit up. Right. That's and, a, I mean, and, and it makes a difference. And I'm just like wondering when studios are going to realize it makes a difference not only in the final product Mm -hmm. but it usually makes a difference in the box office which is all they usually care about yeah you know i mean tim miller i'm curious to see tim miller's yeah and i i mean i think terminator you know if i I just feel like james cameron probably isn't the type of guy to throw his name on something and not be actively involved i just can't see him sitting on the sidelines just kind of going, yeah, I'm an EP on this. That's funny. I'm thinking about, like, as we were talking about the similarities between, like, John Carpenter. I mean, and, I mean because... They're mirrors Well, because also, like, with... Um, so the criticism, you know, of Cameron is that with Jenny Smith specifically, Genesis. Oh, because he uh, gave that soundbite. He he yeah. he did put his name on it, yeah. and he did I guess he say did he gave it a thumbs like, up. It's, it's as good as the sense of the second yeah. one. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, of course you're gonna say that because you're cash and checks, right? Um, and Carpenter is the same way. And Carpenter's flat out. Sad. He just is more candid, yeah. where he's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, just make pay as many me. sequels as you want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, so so it is kind of interesting, like the. The passing the of the torch. Factor. Yeah, exactly. But it's really interesting that the curmudgeon factor has been passed and now like the whole active executive producer role is something they're both doing yeah. in the same year. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting too that Lori's return and Sarah Connor's mm-hmm. return were announced, I think like weeks apart. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Lori Strode's character coming back to Halloween had a hand 
and yeah. that happening. Or if Linda. Or if it's just crazy timing or if Linda's like, if she's doing it, maybe I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, You knows? know, like it could have been a push she needed. But I am a huge Linda Hamilton fan mm-hmm. and I'm like so glad we're going to get her back. Me and too. I'm, and I'm lo- in love with the fact that like, I hate to say that they're taking chances because to me it's just like a no brainer. But like, I love that Lynn Shay. Mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis and within the same year Sarah Connor mm-hmm. hopefully will be almost at their peak mm-hmm. like I was tweeting the other day like and I got kind of emotional just thinking about it because I love the character of Laurie Strode mm-hmm. so much that like I love that Jamie Lee Curtis is having a fucking moment mm-hmm. like 59 kind of like you know it's just night like I don't know like she's 59 years old she hasn't done a big movie in a while mm-hmm. And, like, here she is. And well, she's like, dude, I have fucking owned this world for 40 years. Like, why hasn't everybody been listening well, to me this whole time? And isn't it interesting <laughs> how, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't know the behind the scenes. But from what I can tell, because I've I've listened to Jamie talk and I've I've read a lot of interviews with her, even when it came down to, like, stuff with Scream Queens or in, and in between Scream Queens and now, like, her being on social media and saying, I want to work mm-hmm. like the fact that somebody yeah. like Jamie Lee Curtis, who, you know, let's not forget had a fucking career Fish called Wanda. was a, was a huge superstar in terms of comedy, in terms of true drama. Lo- she won a golden glove for true life. I mean, yeah, yeah, like she, she was, is a superstar, um, but she is older. And so she is not working as much. Right. And for her to have to literally scream into a social media megaphone, yeah. I want to work yeah. um, is just really interesting to me. Well, and it sucks because it does suck. like you watch the new movie and for me, you almost like feel guilty because you're like, why did we as a society put her in a cupboard? But you know, cause like she owns the screen. I mean, yeah, and she is passionate about her work and she takes her platform and, does something with it as far as trying to make the world a better place, writing children's books, speaking out against gun violence or speaking for queer youth. Like Mm -hmm. she does all these things. And I'm like, why do we punish people for aging? Well, we don't (laughs) punish people for aging. We punish women for aging. That's a really good way to put it. I, I was thinking about this recently, a friend of mine, um, who I love and respect and admire in, in many ways. Um, was sort of when uh, with respect to you know the the Halloween of it all and the you know um, Jason Blum article where he kind of was talking about women and and mm. not and not being able there aren't enough enough women directors and it's like well yeah right um, but uh, <laughs> but my friend tweeted and he was like yeah let's drag the guy who uh, you know is making movies that are starring sixty year old women and. I, first of all, was like, I'm sorry, wait a second. What does one have to do right. with the other? That right. Those are those are two completely different conversations. They're two different houses. But, but more so than that, um, I started thinking like, I, I'm sorry, Sylvester Stallone is still making Rocky movies. Right, and, and he's Rambo. And he's 900. <laughs> Arnold will never stop being Arnold. Right. Um, the list of the men who are in their 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s. Liam Neeson. Like yeah. the fact that they can be these archetypes uh, and the ideal. And more so than that, though, forget about our, our social implications. Business-wise, 
are trusted with franchises. Right. And we are supposed to pat somebody on the back for... Doing the same thing. Putting Lin Shay in right. the, as the lead of the third movie in a franchise. Right. Because... She's not the, the, you know, like the the Lambert family is still front and center of Insidious Chapter One, Insidious Chapter Two. Correct. Um, yeah. And and Jamie, you know, uh, is Halloween. Like, right. And then I get a little bit sore when people have been discussing the success of the movie and attributing it to the Michael's return. And I'm like, Michael Michael's has been, been here. Like, exactly. He's Michael's been, been around for 40 or, years. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, like, he never it's, went it's, away. It's Jamie Lee that made <laughs> that brought the movie $77 million. Well, and this is the... It's her story that brought the movie $77 million. I mean, I feel like I do... I would, from a, from a cynical business perspective, argue that the franchise coming back at Halloween and the groundswell of all the things, like perfect it's lightning in a bottle. But yeah. that said, if she hadn't been involved, I don't know if people would have been as engaged or talking about it i don't think the general public would i agree i think we would be yes i don't think the general public would be yes and i want to go back to something i said earlier because i actually hate that i said it okay the fact that like she's 59 and she's up why the like we it's almost like counterintuitive to celebrate that Uh uh-huh because we never say liam neeson has the highest grossing opening weekend for a movie made by starring a guy over 65 you know you never like right and like granite I think Jamie was the first one to bring that to people's attention. And Mm -hmm. I think when she says it, there's the value Mm -hmm. in what she's doing. But we do talk about, oh, wow. You know, women go see movies like Girls Trip. Well, no shit. Women go see movies like Girls Trip. Or like, no shit. Women see Lynn Shay. Right. Like her age is neither here nor there really at the end of the day. People just want good movies. Yeah. And I mean, but it is. But that's the thing is, is putting a value on. Uh, women's stories when they are not 20 and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like, like Jennifer Lawrence is not even 30 and she's like someone <laughs> said something the other day on Twitter that made me laugh. Or no, Shailene Woodley has already scri- skipped like the late teenager and is now going to like the mom. Mm-hmm. You know, like women are either in this young sexy yeah. box or they're like, the mom and well, they're uh, playing like the mom to like a 15 year old but she's like 25 and like. i think it relates to whether it is sarah connor or laurie strode mm-hmm. or elise in in insidious like the idea that there are stories of value mm-hmm. with all kinds of genre backdrops all kinds of um uh stories and ages and experiences Mm. and complications, quite frankly. The idea that Lori is, you know, Lori and and, um, Sarah Connor are truly suffering from PTSD. 100%. And the idea that, you know, Elise is um, in Insidious is, and I brought this up, actually, Lynn and I talked about it a little on this podcast. Oh, no kidding. The idea that um, we, we trust her because she has experience yeah she has something to say she has, she has a, story a life tell. yeah you know like she actually does kind of know yeah <laughs> like, she's been around she's... and experienced not only this world but other like she literally and figuratively has stories to tell and maybe we should listen to her right maybe take a little bit off the top from her i mean and yeah take her experience and go hmm yeah so let's learn from this well and just like looking at the genre today like the three biggest 
horror movies of 2018 all star women, all star women, mm-hmm. and they all star women with life experience. Let's name them: Lynn Shay uh-huh. in Insidious Four, uh-huh. Jamie Lee mm-hmm. in Halloween, and Tony Collette in Hereditary. Oh yeah, totally. You know, like. And the thing that connects those three movies as well, and they all do them a little differently, is there's a story mm-hmm. with the scares. Mm-hmm. There is each movie has something to say. Yeah. And at the heart of all three of them is a family drama. Yes, of course. Is life drama, is life experience. It's talking about them as people and not just heroines, mm-hmm. which I think can be actually be problematic at the end of the day mm-hmm. if someone's just put in a heroin box and that's all they are to people. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know. I'm really glad we picked T2 because it's really opened up a huge conversation here, which I think is really interesting. Absolutely. And amazing. And, you know, um, what was I going to say? It just, I don't know. It's just like Sarah in a lot of ways is ahead of her time, but mm-hmm. in a lot of ways you look back and you go, Ooh. And she's very of the time. Yes. Perfect way to put it. Yeah. So <laughs> before we get to the movie that you're going to add that's not on the list. Should we talk Robert Patrick really quick? Yep. Yeah, that's okay. exactly where I was going. We got to talk about Robert Patrick. Do you want to see my note on him? Yes, of okay, course. Let me see I would love to see it because my note on him is. It's this one right here. Awesome. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, and that's and, and and that's also part of T1, which you were talking about yes. earlier with Arnold. Um, and my note to myself to bring up was, it's crazy how no emotion can equal scary as fuck. Yeah. Um. I I feel like I'm overindulging on the Halloween comparisons, mm-hmm. but I feel like Robert Patrick and Arnold in the first movie are Michael without a mask. Absolutely. And in a lot of ways, they're more effective because. I don't want to say more effective. They're effective in a different way because there's something really scary about a, a blank slate, yep. but there's also something really scary about seeing a face and it never changes. Let, let me, let me. So I often uh, and love. You can express this much more eloquently. No, than me. no, that was no. I, I'm, I'm, I agree with you, and I often bring up. It's one of my favorite things to say to to non horror people that um, uh, No Country for Old Men is a straight up horror movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that Anton Sugar is Bruce the Shark from Jaws. Oh my God. The Shape from Halloween. Love it. The, Terminator. the Terminator. Like he literally will never, he never stops. He has no emotion. He mm-hmm. cannot be reasoned His with. His whole programming, whether it's a machine, yes. whether it's evil, yes. whether it's nature, is to kill. And that's why he's so scary. I mean, he's scary for many reasons and Javier Bardem is wonderful in the movie, but the idea that he, you know, he doesn't, it doesn't change. Like I think about the time, uh, the only time you really see his expression change is when in the beginning he's choking the, um, the, the cop who has arrested him in the very beginning. And he's got the, he has handcuffs on Mm. and he comes up behind him and they're on the ground and they're, and he just chokes him out. And the expression on his face isn't actually emotion, but he does have a different expression on his face. Um, and one of basically like force, like as in I am, I'm physically, you know, gnashing my teeth because I am right. strangling him so hard. Right. But aside from that, <laughs> nothing. Well, and the thing that is crazy great about Robert Patrick in this movie is he manages to be scary and sexy together. Yes. Well, I agree. Like smolderingly sexy. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if it's just a taste of mine. It's the but, uniform. It's got to be. I mean, it's also just the look, the pure, like, 
determination. And, Even though he's not determined because he's a machine. Well, and he is um, boyish looking. Yeah. So he's non threatening. Yes. If you look at him on the he's surface. He's all American. Yeah, he's like and the all American like high school quarterback. The look. idea yeah. to put him in a police uniform. Brilliant. I mean, also, like, that was another thing that stood out to me was I was like, wow, this is just like white suburbia where the cops well, are your like, friends. I was just going to say, like, that whole putting him in a police uniform would not have that. Uh, immediate sense of security absolutely today um as we all know why sure um if he was like a fireman yes <laughs> then or like or a firefighter or something maybe like the guy that serves really good donuts <laughs> sure. sure nothing says you comforts can, like donuts yeah like there is something I, I noticed that too like but they put him in a cop uniform and immediately everybody in the movie trusts him right but he also does have that blue eye yep. he's very like cropped and very and, perfect haircut but he's also kind of um he he's he's kind of he's not rigid looking he's like um david the statue of david in a lot of sure. ways sure yeah i think that's fair actually <laughs> like, but i do want tough yeah yeah and i do want to mention too the casting of a physical type like robert patrick mm -hmm. because the idea like even michael bean in the first one is uh you know more rugged and taller like, i think yeah. yeah a little bit bigger and arnold is obviously a bodybuilder and Arnold's a, actually slimmed down in t2 compared to yes the first oh one, yes right? for sure yeah. yes um but uh but but you know arnold is a is a is a is a Hulk. large presence. Right. And so <laughs> casting somebody like uh, a Robert Patrick, it's just such the right way to go it because is. you could you could have found another very large man. Right. Um, but instead just just playing off of it's so good. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine it any other way. No. You know, like it's weird how Robert Patrick stands for liquid metal to me too. Mm -hmm. Like can you imagine the liquid metal. Like even the moments when he's somebody else, it's a little jarring. Yes. But it's great. And they always use those at the right time. Yes. And his um, speak. Yes. His language. Yes. The way he talks and how he kind of smirks mm -hmm. with each, each sentence, especially when he's talking to John's foster parents. Yes. It's so brilliant. And it's also like fun to like look and it's like, Someone programmed that into a machine. So th this is <laughs> this is my I, I will give a little a little uh, plug or heads up because uh, my friend Alexander Philippe who who was been on this podcast as well and he made the Hitchcock documentary about the shower. Oh God, scene. I loved it. Yes, so good. So he is uh, he talked to me about The Exorcist because he was working with William Friedkin oh, yeah, uh, very closely on mm -hmm. something. But he is making a movie and it was announced recently. He's making a movie about uh, Alien. And, a documentary. Um, yes. Oh, cool. And um, I sat with him and did an interview, and we talked a lot. And I don't want to give anything away, because um, <laughs> but I'm told that part of this made it into the movie. Um, we talked a lot about Ash, and what is from Evil Dead. Nope. Of, oh. from Alien. Oh, from Alien. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and and we're talking about like androids and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. programming. Right. Um. What is programmed into Ash in Alien is when you really think about it, like if you watch Alien through the lens of that and you watch that character through uh, the lens like of that, on the programming. it is horrifying. Oh my God, that's so cool. Like it's so, and, and to your point about the T-1000, yeah. you're right, the smirk is programmed. Yeah. And the... Uh, when you think about the actual yes. work it took to make these yes. machines... 
it's yeah, it's terrifying that there's some fucking genius in the movie mm-hmm. that we never see mm-hmm. that literally was like clicking a keyboard yep. away and the code he wrote yep. makes him smirk when he talks to yep. his the person he wants to kill yes. his parents. Yes. And and I would Oh my love, god, I want to watch Alien now like that. Please watch you it, it is super fun. Uh and I'm sure like I said Alexander told me that that scene did make it in, so we'll see. Um but that was that was to me the two things and we've never done Alien on this show before, but I almost picked Alien. Yeah. But the, yeah, the two yeah. the two things that stood out to me in Alien are are Ash and how the I mean we could do a whole we could do a hours on yeah. that but the the idea that um Sigourney Weaver's that Ripley is is remembered in reviews and by critics and scholars for being cold for making the decision the unemotional decision <laughs> and uh and just looking at her performance you know from a from the lens of wait a second <laughs> you know what yeah she did the right thing yeah. and like that's and 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 looking at it through the lens of if the Hollywood legend is true that Ripley was written by a man or written for a man yeah, it was initially then, a character initially I think was a man yeah right? then what how would that scene have played? Oh, hailed it a hero. How would the rest of the movie have played? <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's really like, I don't love the movie Alien personally. I prefer Aliens. Yes. Yeah. But looking at it in certain ways mm-hmm. is endlessly fun. I need to go back and revisit those movies. We're actually doing Alien 3 oh. this week on our show. Um, It's pronounced Alien Cubed. Okay, thank you. <laughs> kidding, um, of course. <laughs> I just always love the little three above the aliens. I mean, it's like, so cute. It's so ridiculous. And it's so crazy that it's David Fincher. Again, right. studio meddling. Right. But question for you about T- T2 before we go to the next yes. segment. Yes. Would it be nominated for Best Picture today? I think it would be. With, the, with 10 slots? With 10 slots and just... I don't think we're fully there yet embracing other genres besides the weepy drama mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as the Academy Awards go. But I think they are kind of a little bit more open Mm-hmm. To, I'm thinking about like action films. Gravity. Is there anything in? Uh, I'm trying. To think I think it would be personally. Mm-hmm. Um, don't ask me why. Mm-hmm. I just think um, I was looking at its Oscar list, and it was all, of course, special effects yeah. and sound and that kind yeah. of stuff. But um, I think the slots would open it up, and I think there's just a more, um, especially that kind of tale today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, there's a part of me that really hopes Universal gives Jamie Lee Curtis a push mm. um, for acting. Um, I doubt they will, but... Yeah, they're not going to spend... Blumhouse is going to spend the money on that <laughs> campaign. I really think they, um, if they were smart about it, they could get her a nom, personally. Um, I think they could get her a Golden Globe yeah. nomination. Uh, I don't think they could yeah, get her Yeah, or even a SAG. Yeah. I could see the, the, the Screen Actors Guild really rallying around her for mm-hmm. her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it stood out to me, but when I was watching it, that was like a thing that kept running through my mind. I was like, I wonder if this would get an an Academy Award nomination today. I wonder because the Academy just feels so stuffy. It does. Still. And they surprise you every once in a while. Is there, have there, off the top of your head, have there been any science fiction or action hybrids that have, um, that have I'm transcended. To think. Like, I mean, has anything changed since the whole Dark Knight debacle? 
I don't have feel any like bigger it has. movies gotten in that they were the reason they expanded was to get that bigger and I, bolder list. I mean, you know, like Gravity, I gravity. guess is kind of on that level. Um, I think there's got to be a couple that I'm blanking on. Yeah. None of the Avengers films, right? No, 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 no. Like no, no like um. I uh, thought Wonder Woman would get in. I I, I thought it would too, actually. Mm. Um, you know, uh, there are lots of people. You know, Logan was nominated for best screenplay. Okay. Um. Uh, and, and there was another, I believe there was another superhero movie last year nominated for best screenplay. Maybe it was Logan. It, it was Logan because, um, Wonder Woman was not nominated for, uh, best picture or best director. And that, those were the two that, that people I, thought were pretty much a shoe in. I mean, not yeah. a shoe in, but like Likely. if they were going to get the nominations, yeah. it would probably have been those. Right. Instead of acting. now everybody is looking to Black Panther. Um, to see if Black Panther will be in the Oscar conversation. There's a lot of people who feel like it should be. this year? Yeah. Oh, my God. February. Feels like so long Of earlier this year. I forgot that it was February. Then again, though, wait a second. Wait a second. How would Get Out... Wait. Get Out was last year. Okay. Last February. Okay. Then there you go. Yes, yes, yes. So, So maybe some people think Black Panther will be in the conversation. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know why. That was just kind of running through my mind because I I feel like it, again, made today. I don't think it might, it probably wouldn't be as deep. But you know what, though? (laughs) If this movie, this movie, I bet, was one of the 10 best movies quality-wise. Absolutely. Released that year. Uh And and I think that it should be, you know, if if anyone listens to this podcast, they know I'm always advocating for the Academy and respect for genre. Yeah. You know, And, and I think that this movie is well acted. Technologically, it's pushing the medium forward. It's well written. It's emotional. It has m- meaning and messages. I mean, it's it is the package. And everything, the thing that I really appreciate about the movie when you watch it is every second matters. Yeah. There's no meandering. Yeah, There's absolutely. no random characters that have no real purpose yes. at the end of the day, which tends to happen in the yes. genre where they're set up to just die. Um, I don't know. It's a great film. Yeah. I love it. It is. So what would you add to the list that is not already on the list? Oh, my God. Okay. So (laughs) I don't know if I'd add it to the list, but I was on a Robert Patrick kick. Okay, yeah. And I would, you know what? I might add it to the 100 Thrills list just because it's so fun. The Faculty. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. I love me the Faculty. (laughs) I think it's... It's just so fun. The faculty is fun. It's it is probably pure not list worthy now that I think about it. That's okay. It's your list. But um, it is so fun, and it's scary, and it's fresh, and it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's essentially Scream with aliens. Yeah. It's it's that whole trope. Robert Rodriguez. It's great. Kevin Williamson. Fun. Yeah. 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 It's um. Again, it's 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 a product of the '90s, but there's a lot to be said. I think '90s horror is shit on a little bit mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people forget that even with the "I still know what you did last summers" and the urban legends of it all, they were actually trying to tell stories. Yeah, you know, they weren't just kind of knife fodder, and some didn't really work, mm-hmm. but. They were telling stories. They were really actually trying to do characters in a lot of ways. And I think the faculty is like up there with Scream. Mm -hmm. It's not as good, but it's up there with Scream in the sense that it was able to tell a really good story while also 
being a good movie. Like, so here's a question for you. Yes. Why do you think that in the conversation, because I would agree 90s, 90s horror is just so all over the map. It is. You know, it's, 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 you can look at decades and go, okay, the first half of the decade mm. was dominated by one, maybe two yeah. subgenres, second half, one, yeah. maybe two. Like it's consistent in ways. Yeah. But the 90s are so all over the I place. I mean, like the early 90s, you have your like. You have fucking interview with the vampire in Silence of the Lamb. Yeah. And then you have like single white female. And, and Candyman's yeah, in there. And then you have like Sleeping with the Enemy, which I would consider part of. You kind of had like that lady exploitation kind of stuff going on with Sleeping with the Enemy yeah. and that rocks the cradle and single white female. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't really until like 96 that you kind of so, had. And Scream, obviously. A stamp that you could put on a part of the decade. Yes. So Scream obviously kicks that off. Right. Um, but why do you think that the faculty is not as well remembered? Because I would agree it's fun. Mm -hmm. it, it It's not, um, like, I cannot, and you know I don't really love slasher movies anyway, but I cannot with uh I know what you did last summer. Even <laughs> even when I was a teenager, even when I was a kid, I was like, this is boring. Like I just I it did not compel me at all. Yeah, I um, actually really I do enjoy the first one. The second one is pure trash. Yeah, I mean I it's didn't just even, so trash. But people talk about they remember, they remember those movies, but the mm -hmm. faculty kind of gets left out of the conversation. I wonder if it's because by the time the faculty came out, you had Scream mm -hmm. one and two. Mm -hmm. You had I Know What You Did Last Summer. You had I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. You had Urban Legend, and you had Halloween H2O. Mm -hmm. You may have had Disturbing Behavior by then. Um, you may have had Idle Hands by then, but you had a good six movies. I'm wondering if it was already, like, fatigue, audience fatigue, um, in the sense that you had Scream, awesome. I Know What You Did Last Summer resonated with people. I think, I think it... One, it was the first one after, so really benefited from being the first slasher after Scream. Um, I think it gets an unfair rap in the sense that it's nothing like Scream. They're very different. Mm -hmm. It gets lumped in as kind of a meta. Because it's teenagers, yeah, it's a school. Yeah, and it's, it's actually very and... 80s. Yeah. And it's set up, and it's funny to actually think Scream and I Know What You Did This Summer are so different and are by the same writer. Mm -hmm. um, and Scream 2, for me, is personally the peak of that era mm -hmm. that was a year um starting in the beginning of 98 end of 97 you were already starting to kind of get like mm -hmm. okay we get it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone's wearing the gap and everyone's pretty i and remember those a glossy camera yeah i mean the, the faculty, faculty literally wore Tommy yeah Hilfiger. and and i remember those DL. ads yeah i, I remember yeah. i mean in amazing, my magazines right? i remember like wishing i was one of the cast members of the faculty <laughs> Um, the 80s was different in the sense that you didn't have home video so prominently so to go to the movie every every week in the early 80s during the slasher boom it was a different time there wasn't home video to watch stuff there also it was new mm -hmm. the slasher generally really didn't exist then mm -hmm. so like you didn't have a hundred films that you've already seen on home video mm -hmm. before Scream came out so I think the fatigue factor set in a lot quicker. And I also think the faculty gets lumped in as a slasher when it's really its own subgenre. I think that's what it is. For yeah. me, I think the reason that people at large don't think of it is because it's aliens. Yeah. 
And it's just, it's, it's, and it, what it is, I mean, again, wasn't there, but if I had to guess how Robert Rodriguez agreed to make that movie, mm -hmm. he probably said, I'll make you a slasher movie, but I'm going to do it with aliens yeah. and I'm going to make a B movie yeah. and make it weird. A B movie with a great cast. Totally. And pretty great dialogue, very much dialogue of its time. Yeah. And I think people... I also think we're getting past the the point where it was kind of cool to shit on 90s horror. And I think people are starting to get past that and actually starting to appreciate it mm -hmm. a lot more. I feel like with... It's kind of like the Halloween 3 renaissance we've had in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. I think people are starting to come around to 90s horror a little bit more mm -hmm. and appreciate it a lot more. I see that a lot more on Twitter being like, yeah, Urban Legend is actually a pretty great movie. Or Halloween H2O is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see that more. Um but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is it unfairly, because it does sound the same and it sort of looks the same, but it's not a slasher movie. But do you know like the genesis of the movie at all a little bit? Um, like Dimension owned that script for like the longest time. Mm -hmm. And when Scream hit, mm -hmm. they kind of were looking for their next subgenre that they could kind of do in that same mm -hmm. vein. And it was a script by two different guys. Mm -hmm. Um and I think they quickly realized they had something with it and were like, Kevin, please work your magic mm -hmm. on this. Because Kevin Williams said is the credited screenwriter on it. And there's actually two guys credited with the story. And I bet that you're right. I bet it was a combination of, Kevin, can you do something with this? Robert, will you do something with mm -hmm. what he does? And he's like, well, if I can make it a little bit in my image, yeah. a little bit weird, shoot it in Texas, totally. you got a deal. Totally. You know? I, I guarantee, I mean, I don't guarantee, but... If, working with Robert and being around Robert and knowing what I know of Robert, Robert doesn't play by anyone's rules, right. but he, what he does do is work within those rules. Yes. And he goes, as you said, like in his image, he's yeah. like, okay, I'll, I'll, I will check all these boxes, yes. but I'm going to do it my yeah, way. I'll take your sandbox. Totally. I'm going to take all the sand out and replace it with my sand, That's but I'm still in your sandbox. I'm in the box. Yeah. <laughs> you know where I am. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. And, and like, here's what like, I, here's my sand Sure. Castle. I'll put them all in Hellfigure. But I'm going to have a character that pretends to be a lesbian totally. because she finds it a safe space. You know, the like, whole thing is, you know, yeah. and that's totally Kevin, too. Like he, you know, like we talk about on the show how like at the end of the day, Scream is a very queer horror franchise mm. um, in a lot of ways. And it's just. I don't know, I think it's given an unfair rap in the sense that it's like, oh, it's a clone, but like the faculty. Yeah, it's a clone, but it's like, but it's not a clone it's the same doctor like you know what i mean like i don't know it's and it's it's a really good movie mm -hmm. it's like 90 minutes mm -hmm. fun there's like five stories going on that all coherently make sense it's i don't know i just love the movie and i was thinking about robert patrick and i was like actually i didn't decide until today what mm -hmm. my second movie would be and i was loving Robert Patrick so much while watching T2. I was yeah. like, I'm going to talk about the faculty. Good. I love it. I love it. Well, we're added to Go the list. Go watch it. Added to the list. All right, Michael. Well, Thanks, you've been Clark. very generous with your time. I if kept you. I said you, anything stupid, delete it. You said all smart things. And I kept you 20 minutes longer than I said. Oh, I'm I sorry. No, I kept you 20 I kept minutes you longer. longer. No, I kept you longer. Uh, and Brian's probably ready to come out of the other room. So, yeah. uh, thank you. Thank you.
Alrighty, friends, there you have it, our latest episode for today. And there is more from Michael and I, um, kind of doing some more in-depth genre analysis, specifically um, when speaking to the queer themes within genre analysis, um, on the Patreon-exclusive mini-episode this Thursday. So for $5 and higher monthly contributors, um, you get an access to a mini-episode every week. And, um, and this one is a really, really cool one. It's definitely Michael and I nerding out about our favorite parts of genre and sort of looking between the lines of popular genre films. So I think you will enjoy it and I invite you to nerd out with us. But if you um, are not able or interested in giving to Patreon, that is totally fine. Please rate and review the show and please share it. Please tell your friends. That actually really, really helps a lot and uh, does a lot to spread the word. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I will see See you next time.